Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette. And today I have a really fun and insightful episode on the topic of supporting non-traditional students and adult learners returning to college. Our guest today is Dr. Latanya Reese-Miles, affectionately known by many as LT. LT is the Director of Sales and University Partnerships at REUP Education a first-generation college graduate and former stopout student, LT has established two successful programs for first-generation college students, one at UCLA and the other at Loyola Marymount University, both recognized as first-gen forward institutions. She regularly consults with institutions nationally concerning first-gen students and also has advised local high schools about developing programs on their campus. Finally, she established and manages a national Facebook group um, that I'm part of too, called Empowering First Generation Students. Uh, definitely join that if you haven't, y'all. And then uh, she's also the chief strategist for the First Gen Induced Brand. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. LT. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Evie. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I, we were just um, chatting before the recording, and I was I mentioned to LT how a lot of us know her from many different places, and I know her from my time as an undergrad at UCLA, and I feel like I would love to know more about your backstory, like maybe a little bit more, not just like who you are, what you do, but your background, backstory, how did you become the LT that you are today? Oh my gosh, <laughs> origin story, as I'm surrounded yes. by superhero in this. First of all, thank you so much. Um, it's, I mean, gosh, you and I have known each other decades now. It's crazy. So <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't have to date either one of us, but just to show the long history and longevity. And so I'm so happy and, and for you and proud of you as well. Um, so I am, a, I'm, I'm physically located in California in the San Francisco Bay area, but I am an East coast girl at heart. I'm from the, the Washington DC area, Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington DC, um, and grew up there, um, living with my grandparents for a good part of the time. Um, and with my mom, who's like, uh, was like my ride or die. She, she, I'm my mother's only child. She was a single parent. So, um, obvi not obviously, but, um, but, you know, pretty close. And, um, it's, it's so funny. I don't know if you felt like this, or if this was true for you, but it was very evident for me that I was the, um, the first person in my family to go to a four year, but I didn't really think of myself as first gen. Like those aren't necessarily, your mindset can be pretty, you know, different. Yeah. Like, you know, just based on the conversations in my house and knowing that no one went to college, I knew I was going to do that. But that identity of being first gen didn't come about till way later. But even 
before that, before before the getting to college part, you know, there's just little things that you realize in, in your family. Um, and that also set me on a path. Um, so I just give a lot of credit to my mom for her hustle and um, for her creativity, you know, just, just things that help get me along the way for her sacrifice. Um, she was a teenager when she had me. Um, and she just told me I could do anything, you know, um, and she's just like my biggest fan and cheerleader. So that really helped. And for me, is one of the early lessons in realizing that even when our families or communities don't have a lot of college going knowledge, they do fill us with some things. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, so my mom just did the best that she could. um I love hearing a little bit more about your background about your relationship with your mom because I know that you recently recorded a video with her all about Christian legacy and I know that today's episode is not about that but I would love to hear a little bit a little bit more about about that it does it does tie in though it does tie in because I know you want to hear about being non-traditional yes and well that's the thing like uh, I was the first to go and complete, but I wasn't the first to attempt. So there were a number of people in my family who, thanks to the military or what have you, you know, took college classes and whatnot and as adults and would be considered non-traditional in that way. And that includes my mom and that also includes myself too. And, I, and we'll, we'll come back to me, I know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I've been... Mi- meditating and marinating on this idea of legacy I'm sure you have too because you have you have your own family you have your yeah. own um, children to think about and what does it mean to be first gen and your children are not you know and then um I, I started that series but wanted to kick it off by talking to my mom to hear about her pathway as a non-traditional student um taking classes here and there for over 20 years before finally going to a four-year school and graduating so that video you're talking about was just the intro the next video will be more about her time in community college and then eventually going on to um, a four-year school and then a master's degree like that's incredible she she did it all in her 40s like that was it was crazy so um yeah um I I hope you (laughs) listen to to the other videos she was just so adorable (laughs) I'm going to link them in today's show notes so folks can also oh, watch <laughs> the the videos with you and your mom. I When I saw it, I was like, wow, her mom looks so young. <laughs> well, she looks young, but she also is young, yeah. too. You know, like I said, she was 16 when, when she was pregnant with me and she had me when she was 17. I, I, oof, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, you've known her for a, a good portion of her life. That's for yeah, real yeah amazing. I was I was like her little her little uh ride or die partner yeah. right you know never I, she never felt like a sister that wasn't that the authority was clear but you know definitely like a partner for me yeah and um again I know we're I'm, we're gonna get to the topic but I, I'm curious how it is um you know it, it was you reflect on your backstory how it is that you got introduced to this work of of working with first-gen students, working with non-traditional uh, students, or now adult learners. So there's there's a lot of like threads of working with 
goodness. students who we come from very different backgrounds or we need a little bit of extra support or um, we are not the quote unquote traditional student by, you know, whatever is defined as traditional, uh, whether it's age, gender, race, ethnicity, community that we come from. Um, so how did you get to, to that? Cause yeah. I, we, we see the doctor title. So you went to grad school, you got a PhD. How did you get from that to now re-up? <laughs> Oh, that's a girl. <laughs> we need more time for that. Or just but, like a quick thread quick, of like how yeah, you got for into sure, for sure, that line for of work. Sure. Okay. And then just just remind me if I'm not uh, answering it fully. But let's start with um, something that you and I both share, both McNair scholars, right? So um, at the time, I was a student at Howard University. That was my second institution. I was a student at Howard University. And I, let's be real I came from a family where if I had literally gone to college for one day turned around and came back home that was a major success because no one had done it yeah right um so the idea of graduate school like what you know that was crazy so the I thought I'll get a master's degree right I thought I'll get a master's degree in Afro-American studies that was the plan and um I remember uh, Evie, that I saw this flyer for a McNair Scholars Program when I was a student at um, at Howard, and I was like, "Oh my!" I just saw the stipend, right? <laughs> it <was> hey, <laughs> you're not the only one who noticed those things. Me too. <laughs> I was like, "Research, that's cool, but yeah. I need this money, right? Yeah. I, need this money. I just didn't know what research was, so." Um, so I, I've applied for it and that, that McNair program. So um, for everyone who doesn't know, McNair is a you know, federally funded program. What was unique about the program there is that it was drawing students from different camp, from different schools in the DC area. Um, so much, much like the one at Claremont, right? You, mm -hmm. you bring, you bring yeah. students from all over. And so, um, so it was actually housed at American University, but I was a student at Howard. And so that was my first introduction to what is grad school beyond a master's? What is a PhD? What is research? I mean, and that changed my life. So that's the McNair program is mm. what set me on the pathway toward getting a doctorate. And then um, like true story, you know, like I said, I'm an East Coast girl through and through. Um, and I'm being encouraged to, apply to grad school in this place called California at UCLA. <laughs> I'm like, what? My whole plan was to stay on the East Coast, no yeah. lie. My plan was, um, my number one choice was uh, UPenn and then Rutgers, because it was just right up, you know, right up the road. Yeah. And I had an advisor who said, LT, you should, you know, consider UCLA. And I was like, oh, seriously, it felt like a foreign country. But all that to say, that's that's what got me on the pathway, still not realizing I'm first gen, mind you, in a whole trio program, not knowing I was first gen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and it wasn't until I became a McNair director myself, well, I was probably a coordinator at UCLA, I'm, I'm you know, get, making my way through my graduate program in, in English and literature. My plan is to be a faculty member, but I'm also working um, for the McNair program and it was a graduate student there who's Tracy Buena Vista, Dr. Oh. Tracy Buena Vista, who's like, LT, you know your first gen, right? I'm like, <clears throat> what? 
epiphany Epiphany. that's wild yeah. and so once once I had that language you know yeah. it was just it changed the course of my life it changed the, the trajectory of my professional life just wanting to um, bring the same level of awareness to other people that I had because I suspect there were so many people like me who you kind of know but not really and you need some language to yeah. to help explain your experience so that's that's what happened with me let me pause there I know you want me to talk about getting to Rhea but let me see let me that was the educational background but any any follow-ups to that <laughs> and uh, I think that that's great that's a great um segue into talking about working with non-traditional students too I know that McNair doesn't necessarily doesn't solely work with non-traditional students but it does attract some of them and a lot of the work that you do now is about is about supporting students who are returning that are going back to school. So I wanted to have a conversation. Maybe you could get us started with talking about like for folks who aren't as familiar with the terms, just like we, you know, at some point we didn't know what first gen meant. Like, what do we mean when we say non-traditional versus say adult learners? And then even like in your bios, stop out students. I hear yeah. terms like re-entry students. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of different terms, yeah. um, but there's some overlap between some of these. So like non-trad, for instance, what do we mean when we say we, we work with non-traditional students or support non-traditional students? Yes, ma'am. Um, and and I'll, I'll, let me start with like not these terms are contested terms, right? These aren't ones that that everyone necessarily agrees with. There's some debates right now. Um, if you go on LinkedIn about why why are we using non-traditional, but at the same time, terms are actually helpful too. Even if you're um, pushing back against it, having a definition is really critical. But I would say that the the term non-traditional is really a response to the way that schools, for the most part, are structured right now. Um, whether people are saying it in, out loud or not, a lot of the policies, programs, and resources assume that a student is 18 to 24 years old, and for the most part, um, a dependent on, uh, a financially dependent on, on parents, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when we look at a way um uh, let's say move in or orientation. Oh my gosh, orientation is a good example. Yeah. It's very much assuming that this is a student that's going to be escorted by their family and dropped off, right? So what it doesn't mean, um, what it doesn't reflect is the reality is that most folks in post-secondary education are actually over the, those ages and um, maybe in school part-time, may um, be a caregiver, whether it's for their own parents or families or their parents themselves. So that part of the equation is completely, in, is not completely, but it's very much invisible. So for me, when I'm hearing the term non-traditional, it is acknowledging those those groups of people right there. Um, <clears throat> I realize now that at some one point I was considered non-traditional again didn't didn't have language for these things of being first gen for me I was also system impacted for most of my um most of my childhood my father was in in jail in prison um for being food insecure all, all these things that I I personally had an experience with and so it was really interesting um 
I mentioned being at Howard University as a first-gen student. My mom was super like supportive, but mom didn't know what she didn't know. Yeah. And she had she hadn't saved money for me. So I owed a housing bill <laughs> at Howard University and it had lapsed. You you know how you have a bill, then you go into the next school year. So it was just sitting there. And at one point, it was the spring of my junior year, I came to my res hall and had, a, I kid you not, a, a notice to vacate on my oh, door. Wow. They said, you have 24 or 48 hours to move, pay this bill or move, right? And um, I didn't have the money, didn't know who to turn to or anything. So I essentially had to stop out of school for a period of time to figure out how was I going to pay this bill? Um, my current, it, it was frustrating because my current balance was up to date. I just had that old lingering balance. And then the school kept telling me, well, you can't apply current financial aid to an old balance. It was ridiculous. Wow. Um, so that this, this, this population that I'm intentionally serving at reup is like, that is my own story. Mm. There, there was a period of time where I felt like I'm not going to finish college. I, I didn't know how to pay that bill. I had, I was a junior. It was the end of my junior year. So I had all these credits and um, Howard, of course, wouldn't release my transcript because I owed money. So I, I was like, how am I going to transfer? I would have to start over as a wow. sophomore. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it, it, so I ended up getting married. I worked full time and I got married because I was like, this isn't going to happen, you know? Um, meanwhile, my husband who, well, he was my boyfriend at the time in a similar situation. He couldn't, well, he had academic troubles and financial troubles. He ended up, um, oh my gosh, Yvette, he ended up um, joining the military reserves to pay for school. You know, it's, it's like, I'm sitting on the couch and I see these commercials. Let me join, let me join the reserves. Girl, he got sent to Kuwait. Oh my he gosh. Got sent to Kuwait. I'm sorry. And that disrupted oh. my husband's schooling actually for 10 years. So anyway, all that to say, he was out of school. I was out of school. And we said, let's, we decided to get married. Thankfully, I was able to return. I went to a different school, but I was able to go back. And then he went back after we moved to the state of California. And then my mom went back to school later. So this is, this is, that's actually the history in my family that sort of stopped, but not complete is mm. way more common than actually starting and completing so that's the I get to I get to um I get to impact who I was back then you know on a, on a systemic level in the role that I have now at RIA yeah I mean like you said your story is actually not uncommon I was I was reading on the RIA website and I saw that this quote that it said that Adult learners over the age of 25 make 38% of total of the total undergraduate student population in the US. And this was from something that was posted in 2021. So it was data from prior to that. So yeah, it, those it, numbers it, I'm sure data. are way, way up now. Mm -hmm. um, so if that's such a big part of the student population, it doesn't make sense to me that that population is rendered so invisible in college campuses and 
Uh, I'm wondering, because I know that you have partnered with institutions and to try to support the, this population. So what what can institutions do? Like there's so much that can be done from, you know, top down, bottom up. So when it's like from the students themselves who want to go back to like peers, to programs, to yeah. faculty, staff, and even up there admin, um, what kind of supports do uh, these students question. need or, oh, or benefit from? I, I love it. First of all, let's talk about who these folks are likely to be. First gen, people of color, often. Right. Well, it could come, many folks are a variety of income backgrounds for sure. Um, but again, we're, we're, we're not talking about like the typical um, thing you might see on a TV show, for example, yeah. right? This isn't about Greek life and partying and whatnot. These are people who like often looking at school truly as social mobility as opposed to personal fulfillment only right like my children have the great privilege and benefit of like only just worried about their own passions and whatnot and that's not why all people go to college but when we acknowledge the fact that let's say school might not be a top priority mm -hmm. number one this people have other responsibilities that changes the way that we should be messaging to them and reaching out to them and supporting them um, and what I've really appreciated about the approach that reup is taking is that we say from the outset when we're working with a campus partner hey the for the population of students that we're reaching out to we're not talking about a quick turnaround this isn't like hey I'm going to message you on, on Instagram and have you come right back. We need to check in with you. Hey, vet, how's it going? Um, how are things going with your family? How are things going with your job? You know, have you talked to someone about your desire to come back to college? So this is going to be a long play. And so if, if a school is only interested in like quick turnarounds and gains, you're going to totally miss this population and they're going to be frustrated again. The, the, the other thing I'll say is um, we need to be thoughtful of how we're being student ready and not just mm -hmm. making sure the students are campus ready. And I think that's really been the approach with this population is we'll sit here, we'll wait for them to contact us to say that they're ready as opposed to um, being taking the initiative with the student. Last thing I'll say about that. I think the gap that REUP is feeling is that, to be honest, a lot of schools don't have the bandwidth to do that. They don't mm. have the resources, bandwidth, staffing, resources it takes to really, truly reach out yeah. to this population. And that's that's the gap that REUP fills. We, we have student success coaches and data and technology that can reach out to those students with an appropriate message. So it takes the heavy lift off of the institution. And when you say that, instit that institutions, a lot of them are not equipped for this, is this primarily, um, like, does this primarily fall on the admissions, um, set, you know, different offices on campuses or are there like, question, yeah. It, it often, I mean, at some point it's going to touch enrollment management regardless, mm -hmm. but sometimes the, um, the uh, it could be an academic advising or student success. Well, those are like the common ones, but you, you got you got to have some kind of conversation with enrollment management at, at some point though but right. again enrollment management often is focused on the next incoming class yeah right getting in those or like in, getting them in but not necessarily them retaining in. them yeah yeah and I mean I was a transfer 
when, were you a transfer? I can't remember. I was not. No. Okay. <laughs> and I transferred twice. And I know, I know how it is as a transfer, like <laughs> transfers often are lower on the, um, on the priority list. And then below that sometimes often are these adult learners or stop out students that they just go, they, they often are transfers, but they just are lower down the list. It's just, it's harder. Yeah, I can imagine there's also a lot of myths uh, potentially um, about adult learners, non-trad students. And so I'm wondering, like, what are some of those myths that you've heard about? What are some things that you wish that other people knew about this population? Yeah. Number one myth is that they don't want to go back. And that's not true. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Thank you so much. Because I do think that's a very, very common myth. It's like, oh, if they wanted to come back, they would just contact us. They would just not that them. easy. It, it's not. <laughs> um, that's why we have to meet them where they are, right? So, um, so, so here's here's what can happen sometimes, right? And again, I'll use myself as an example about not wanting to come back. So. I desperately wanted to go back to Howard University. Um, however, I mean, look at how I was treated mm-hmm. <laughs> as well. So there was there was some friction there for me, right? I really, really wanted to complete. I was working really hard. And I'm not saying this has to be the case, um, but I actually had really strong academics. I had a 3.8 GPA. I was an honor student. Um, and, you know, Howard was just like, sorry, we can't help you, right? Um, like, where was someone to, like, you know, reach back out to yeah. me and say, how are you doing? Honestly, that would have made such a difference if someone had just said, hey, Latanya, we see that you're not out. What can we do to support you? Um, so that's 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 one of the, the big, the big um, sort of misconceptions that we have about the population is that they're not interested or... Um, or like you said, if they were, they would say something. Um, and then we also know it's a very heterogeneous population as well. So you'll, you'll see folks with, from all kinds of racial backgrounds. Most, a lot of people of color, but certainly not exclusively people yeah. of color as well. Um, so, you know, campuses have to like show a level of empathy and um, creativity change some of these policies for returning for example like do you have to you've already been a student there do you have to go through that whole process like how can we remove the friction um for for those students or even that policy that they had about my transcript like holding up my transcripts and whatnot it's ridiculous here i was an honor student 3.8 I could have been an alum of Howard. Like, I mean, I am an alum, but I could have been a graduate of Howard yeah. University. And now University of Maryland gets all the credit, you know? <laughs> um, so <laughs> there you go. Uh, I was going to say they're lost. <laughs> they're lost. They're lost. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I get the sense that I have listeners who are themselves non-traditional students, who are themselves adult learners, who, you know, you mentioned, you know, some of them may be uh, student parents, some of them may be mm-hmm. um, uh, caring for uh, depend other types of dependents. That's right. And so I'm wondering if they, they themselves are those types of students or if someone is listening who 
maybe put a pause and, and has that desire to go back to college um, or even sometimes it's it's graduate school too. That's that's the other thing too that um, yeah right. we're having a conversation about college, but there are a lot of folks who go to graduate school and they uh, put a pause on that or they um, leave when they're all but dissertation when they're ABD. And so, what kind of advice would you give to the individuals themselves who are at this like particular crossroads where? They have felt in some way, shape, or form pushed out by the institution, but they have this desire to finish. Uh, yeah. What 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 do they do? What kind of you know? What it's it's so hard because, like you said, not not a lot of institutions have the level of support to really um, help to ensure every single person is retained and successfully finishes. Mm-hmm. So it. it sometimes is on the students to themselves to seek out help. Um, and it's hard. It's hard. really, really yeah. hard. Yeah. Here, here, here's, here's what I love, though, about working with this population um, is that sometimes we don't have time for games anymore, right? I think, <laughs> I think about who I was when I started at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill as a freshman versus who I was by the time I got to University of Maryland, which was my third institution. And mind you, I was married at that time. Right. I, I didn't or or close to being married. Like some of those things that seemed important, joining a sorority or being liked or what I, I just they weren't as important to me. Right. So I was much more focused um, and I had learned to um, really speak up. Right. And really advocate for myself. So you have to remember that you have it in you to do that, even though like the folks that are around you may, you know, appear to be younger or whatnot, you often know what you need and you have to be your best advocate. Having said all that, that can be tiring at the same time. So I think it's really helpful to connect with people who are in similar situations. For better or worse, I think UCLA has done a really good job of bringing communities of students together, mm-hmm. um, like the, at the transfer center. I'm just using UCLA as an example. Other schools do it too. But having a transfer center, having programs for students with dependents, you yes. know, find, finding those types of communities are really important. But here's the thing, Yvette, this is why so many so-called non-traditional and adult learners are at online for-profit places because they make those policies so easy right it's so easy to apply it's so much harder to get into la than it is to to go to university of phoenix or strayer or what have you because they don't they've reduced that friction now having said that you can get into those schools but how many folks are completing now that's a whole other thing because those schools aren't aren't providing the actual human support that you yeah. also need to actually get through. So there's there's the getting in and then there's the getting through. And then there's also the going on to graduate school part. Um, I will say I'm very proud of the fact that we were at the McNair program at UCLA, very intentional about identifying students with those so-called non-traditional backgrounds. Maybe they had worked for a while or they had families, um, thinking of like Darlene Edgley, for example, a, num- a number of folks, um, so that they feel welcome, not not like some kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, like some kind of freak <laughs> there. 
And those are the programs that really make a difference. That's, you know, that's why so many folks uh, are, you know, to this day, some of my closest friends are folks that were in similar programs. And that's how we met. Um, It's having that support, having the mentors, the femtors, having um, spaces where you're not the only one. um, That makes a big difference. Like you mentioned, you know, some of the examples, whether it's, um, you know, students with dependents or um, the transfer student center, or, uh, you know, I worked at at UC um, Santa Barbara and they have the ONDAS program, which is primarily for for first-gen students and um, both first-year and first-gen transfer students. And that's, you know, that makes a big difference to show up in a space where you see yourself represented in some way, shape, or form. That- It matters. Yeah. And that's kind of one thing, too, is if folks decide to go on to graduate school to look out for those resources, too. As yeah, definitely sense. ask. Ask for those resources. And it, and I look, family, I know it can be really tiring, but sometimes it's just not on the, the radar um, of the institution. And, you know, people can make a difference. At the same time, though, if people are feeling oh, so much pushback, then that might not be the best fit for them as well. So it's it's one thing to like say to an institution, hey, this is what I need. How responsive are they? That's really the, the next question. Yeah. yeah. And no institution is the same. You know, you said you started That's at right. Howard and then you went to Maryland. Uh, so, you know, just because you may have had a uh, not so great experience somewhere doesn't mean you can't, you know, have a better experience and finish somewhere else. So that's, um, that's something I'm yeah. taking away. Yeah. Well, you had asked this question too. We, we have to acknowledge that sometimes the institutions have caused harm, right? And mm-hmm. how do we redress the harm? Yes. And again, that's where the human touch comes in. That's where the listening comes in. Um, that I may say to you, I'm not, interested right now but check back with me um in a couple of months and doing that so being accountable and actually following up that just that shows it shows good faith you know um i'll say it again if if howard had reached back out to me (laughs) or helped me out i would be a howard graduate you know um one of the reasons i chose to become a dean is because i i um, I first of all said to myself, if I was ever in a position to help a student the way a dean ended up helping me get into University of Maryland, that I was going to do it. And then once I became a dean, realized, oh my goodness, schools really can make some of this drama go away. I, I didn't say this. You know what? I owed $1,100. That's all I owed, girl. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> $1,100. As student LT was like, oh my God. Because all I could afford was $50 a month, yeah. right? 50, 50, 50. And that's a lot of months only paying $50 a month, right? As a, as an, a dean LT looks at that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you make that, you make that balance go away. Yes. If it meant um, retaining the student, you know, you just, you, you apply a grant or whatever, you give, you give the student work, whatever, you, you, yeah. you make that happen, you know, and so as, as a student, we don't often see that, we just see the bill that's in front of us, and like, okay, well, I guess I just got to go to work, um, so yeah, I, I feel like I've been very blessed and fortunate, both on a institutional level to make a difference, and now, like, on a mm-hmm. national, much bigger scale to, to really, um, like I said, give what I didn't have. 
<laughs> you you just shared some hidden curriculum stuff right there because you know as a you know first gen student a, a lot of folks uh, don't necessarily know that there are people that will advocate on your behalf that some things you could potentially negotiate uh you know like just like as you know I've gone on my own financial education journey and finding out, oh, you can negotiate your healthcare bills. What? This is a thing. This is a um, thing. Yeah, th- th- finding out that you owed eleven hundred dollars, and there might be someone out there who owes a certain amount and thinks that I could never afford this, and also that there, it's not going to go away. Whereas you could talk to other people who could advocate on your behalf and maybe figure something out. You just don't know. It does, and and that's the thing. Like it, it. A lot of us don't know to ask and don't know who to ask and don't know that 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 there are folks out there willing to help. And so I'm just glad you mentioned that because um, a lot of it has to do with knowing to ask for help and then knowing who to ask and then not giving up. Um because there are going to be a lot of barriers. There are, you know, a lot more barriers when when you're saying the institution is not built to necessarily support these types of populations. So you you have to put yourself out there a little bit more. And a lot of us don't know that we're, we can do that. Yeah, we can do. Can I leave it to me to tie this back to pop culture, right? I think this is why there's that moment in the last Spider-Man movie that really resonated with those of us who are first gen. Um, and it's this moment where Peter goes to Doctor Strange and he he Peter nor his friends got into MIT, right? And so he goes to Doctor Strange and he's like, hey, I need you to like go back in time. Can you reverse time to a place where I wasn't the villain? So then therefore I can get into MIT. And then Doctor Strange says to him, did you just call to say? <laughs> Couldn't you just call MIT and have them, you know, rethink your admission? And Peter's like, I can do that a lot. I, when that movie came out, so many people like tweeted me or texted me like, LT, did you see this? Like, I felt that, you know, um, and it's just what you're saying. Like at that moment, Peter Parker seeing the hidden curriculum, like, oh, I was told I didn't get an MIT case closed. And to know that there's this other pathway, this other door, like, oh, no, fool, you can just... <laughs> Those are the side doors. I could tell people, I'm like, remember, there are front doors, what you see that's in front of you, that's on the website, that's, you know, on, but then there are side doors that are only available if you network, if you build community, if you know folks, if you have your like little group of folks who advocate on your behalf. And again, like a lot of us get left out because we don't know. Mm-hmm. So thank you for reminding us that bringing it back to pop hey, culture. It's so. right there. Peter Parker, <laughs> Peter Parker, first gen working class hero for oh. sure. <laughs> so um, uh, we're going to get close to wrapping up, but I wanted to, to see if there's any other closing words or advice that you have for folks who, who hear, um, about these experiences and and see themselves being reflected and whether they themselves have gone back or thinking of going back, um, what kind of advice or or closing words do you have for them, for folks, you know, thinking of returning to school, whether it's college, grad school, you name it. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll just reiterate and stress something I said earlier that number one, you have it in you um, to achieve it. So um, for many of us, again, don't want to make assumptions necessarily, but many of us have overcome a lot of obstacles. And I suspect a lot of those obstacles were way harder than going to class, to be honest. <laughs> to, to be honest. Um, so, so keep pushing forward. And then number two, find your community. And if you don't find it, build your community. Yes. Um, and I've, I've um, had to do both, right? Um, for sure, um, never, never um, representing myself only when I'm in a space. I'm representing all the other people that helped me get there. But absolutely, there were times where I, you know, I show up and I don't see, um, I don't see myself represented. I don't see my people represented, and I have to build the space. So, um, uh, for as rigid as sometimes these institutions can be, there is a level of fluidity sometimes too. Um, and I, I'm always a glass half full person. I'm always an optimist. And I think there's often an opportunity for us to create and to build um, as well. And um, sometimes it's not even at your your home institution. For me, I do a lot of building in um, uh, you know digital spaces, digital communities as well. Um, so, so don't be afraid to do that for sure. Speaking of digital spaces, for uh -oh. folks who <laughs> really enjoyed this conversation and want to follow you, support your work, want to be in touch, how can folks reach you? It's crazy. I'm As you know, I'm everywhere all over Enough. the place. Oh, it feels <laughs> that way. It feels that way. It's crazy. Um, for folks who are still on Facebook, <laughs> Um, we do have the Empowering First Generation Facebook group, um, 7,200 people. It's crazy all over the world at this point. Um, it's a good place, especially if you have some questions or you, you're just wanting to uh, identify best practices or find community. There's that Facebook group. And there's an Instagram um, called First Gen and Juice, which is really focused on the representations of um, the first gen experience in mass media and popular culture. Um, I am right now speaking to uh, a, a Catalyst Award nominee from last year, Graspel uh, <laughs> Simtoring, nominated for Best Podcast last year. Congratulations on that nomination. Um, but yeah, we, we want to highlight and, um, and let people be more aware of the representations of first genness in so many spaces, whether it's podcasts, TV shows, movies like Spider-Man or, or, or books. And so, um, so yeah, people can follow, um, follow first gen and juice. And then I'm just on LinkedIn. <laughs> as well. <laughs> so we'll, we'll add all of that. It'll be in the show notes, your, your LinkedIn um, page, first gen and juice, Instagram, the Facebook first gen Facebook group, and then, of course, earlier today, we talked about First Gen Legacy. We'll make sure to add the video. Oh, my God. Well. Yeah, that's going to be so dope, man. Come, <laughs> come talk really about excited. what it's like you to got be a so parent. much going on. I'm uh, blessed. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, LT, for being a femtee or a femtor. Sorry, I'm the femtee. A femtor to so many of us. Um, and for coming on the show today, I loved okay. hearing more about your backstory that I actually didn't know. And um, I think a lot of us are going to benefit from this conversation um, on supporting non-trad, supporting um, all, all the different types of populations, adult learners, re-entry, stop-out students, you name it. Like we, we all deserve that kind of support. So thank you so much. 
Thank you, lady. It's a pleasure. <laughs>